Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thank you for taking a few moments with us to take a look at the book. We want to study God's Word in light of how it fits in to the end-time scenario that seemingly is describing current events happening in our world today. I have a five-hour audio series on CDs that will help you understand the origins of everything that is in existence today. This is entitled, Return to Eden. Where is the Garden of Eden? How does it play into the end-time scenario found in God's prophetic word? Well, this is a five-part series the Garden of Eden, beginning and end, sin in the garden, sacrifice in the garden, the battle for Jerusalem, which is key to understanding this, and the Messiah's throne room. Right now, we'd like to take a few moments and allow you to hear a portion of the introductory study in this five-hour series, Return to Eden. Once we've done that, I'll tell you how you can get your copy of this five-hour audio series on CD, Return to Eden. Now, let's take a moment and listen to a portion of The Garden of Eden, beginning and end. I was motivated to go into this study by doing an interview with a Rabbi Chaim Richman. Rabbi Chaim Richman, who lives in Jerusalem, he's the expert on the red heifer. He is the number two man at the Temple Institute, those people preparing to build the third temple and do all of the planning that they have to do prior to the erection of the third temple, all the preparation of the men who will serve as the priest in the temple, all the making and the building of the different uh, implements that have to be used in the temple services, etc. Uh, but uh, I was interviewing him about the destruction that has been going on on the Temple Mount and some of the statements by the Mufti of Jerusalem that there is absolutely no evidence that there's ever been a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. In fact, on my Middle East news update, I'll report to you and give you further insight in the tablet, the stone tablet, uh, the supposed temple tablet that has been found just on the Temple Mount uh, in recent days, and they're talking about it dating back 2,800 years ago. But the statements that were being made by the Mufti, so I was interviewing Chaim Richman on my broadcast. And it was a live broadcast that we do on Saturday across the nation and around the world on Internet, of course. Um, it's an hour-and-a-half call-and-talk program. And I was interviewing the rabbi about the importance of the Temple Mount. And he made a very interesting statement that motivated me to get into this study. Go with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 51 just for a second. Let me show you three interesting verses. Now, we'll revisit these verses when we come together on our Friday session. But I want to show you, point out something very interesting in light of three verses in Scripture as we think about return to Eden. Chapter 51 of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 51 of Isaiah is talking about the redemption of the Jewish peoples in the last days, coming back into the land, establishment of a nation, and then a relationship with the Messiah when he would be their God and they would be his people. And he would be known to the world that this was the case. 
Look here in verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. Zion, a synonymous term with Jerusalem. You see the city of David, you see Zion, or you see Jerusalem. They're all referring to the same place, the city of Jerusalem. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, or Jerusalem. He will comfort all of her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of God. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. He will make her wastelands like the garden of Eden. Go to Joel just a second. Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Go to Joel chapter 2. Again, it is talking about the day of the Lord. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. The battle is about to take place. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Joel, an interesting book to study. Chapters 1 and 2 dealing with that gathering of the nations at the time leading up to the battle of Armageddon. All the nations of the world, Zechariah 14, 2, gathering in Jerusalem under the leadership of Satan, Antichrist, and false prophets in anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus does, in 4 and 5, step down on the Mount of Olives coming back, and then he will have the battle of Armageddon and institute his millennial kingdom. In that context, and I'm not digging into Joel necessarily, I just want to show you a statement made by the prophet Joel pointing to the theme that we're discussing this week. Verse 3, chapter 2 of Joel. A fire devoureth before them, talking about this advancing army coming into Jerusalem, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden. The land is as the garden of Eden. Now, to be really specific, go with me to the 35th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Excuse me, the 36th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 is a portion of that scripture dealing with the return of the people to the land, the restoration of a Jewish nation, and ultimately the regeneration of the Jewish people. It leads from chapter 34, where 18 times in Ezekiel, it 34, it talks about that God will reach into the nations of the world where he has scattered the Jewish people, gather them into the land. In chapter 36, 35 times he refers to the land. In fact, in chapter 36, he's talking directly to the land. He is giving a prophecy. Just for a second, in chapter 36, look at verse 8. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches, and ye shall yield your fruit to my people, O Israel, for they are at hand to come. He is talking to, prophesying about the land. Go over to verse 35 now of chapter 36, and let me show you the statement that really gels what our thinking is going to be. And they shall say, by the way, in verse 33, Thus saith the Lord God in that day that I have cleansed you from all of your iniquities. That's when Jesus Christ comes back. I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded. A waste land shall be builded. Verse 34, And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. Now verse 35, And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Verse 36, When they see this, 
and the heathen or the Gentiles that are left around about you shall know that I am the Lord and I have built the ruined cities. And in verse 38, of course, again it says, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Why is that? Verse 35, they shall say this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And so my study this week, return to Eden. The original site for the Garden of Eden, the future site for the Garden of Eden, and the prophetic significance that this has for us in the days in which we're living. Let's develop as we do, as we would, the Garden of Eden. Go back to Revelation just for a moment, chapter 22 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. And I want to show you the connection between Jesus Christ in the beginning and at the end. That is who he is known as. Chapter 22, verse 13, book of Revelation. Sorry, we're going all over the Bible, but this is a subject instead of a book Bible study, so we have to travel around to get to some spots. Look at verse 13, chapter 22 of Revelation. I am, Jesus speaking, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am in the beginning, I am here at the end, I am the first and the last, I have always been, I shall always be, that is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in chapter 1. Slip back over to chapter 1 a second in Revelation. He introduces himself as the Alpha and the Omega. God gives this message to Jesus Christ, who then uses an angel to deliver it to John the Apostle, who is going to write down the information that is needed. John in verse 4 of chapter 1, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And that's God. And then, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, that would be the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Now to verse 8. I am, here's Jesus Christ speaking, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come comparing himself to God the Father as well. I am the Alpha and the Omega. You want to know something that's very interesting? I was reading a commentary, uh, going through one of the commentaries, trying to develop exactly what uh, this was all talking about when it says the Alpha and the Omega. And I came across J. Vernon McGee's comments on this particular, on this particular verse in chapter 1, verse 8 of the book of Revelation, where it says, I am the Alpha and Omega. You want to know something very interesting? According to Dr. J. Vernon McGee, I haven't looked at the original Greek, but he said in the original Greek, the word Alpha is used, not the alphabet, uh, the symbol in the alphabet, not the letter of the Greek alphabet, but the word Alpha is used. But when it comes to Omega, only the letter is used. And Dr. McGee's commentary on it was that he is here the first time when he makes this statement. So the first coming of Jesus Christ is completed, thus the word Alpha. But only the letter Omega is used in the text saying he is yet to come. And that's what Revelation is all about, the coming of Jesus Christ. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He repeats this throughout the entire Word of God, uh, in the book of Revelation at least. Go to verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his hand on me, uh, uh, upon me, and he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Over in chapter 2, he is writing to the church at Smyrna. In each of the letters to the seven churches, he gives a characteristic of himself to John in the writing of the letter. In the church at Smyrna, look what it says in verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, saith the Lord, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. He continues to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Go back to chapter 21 in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, and look at verse 6 just a moment. Again, now we get to chapter 21. He's talking about the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. But once again, he's going to reiterate who he is, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 6, chapter 21. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. It is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. It is completed. And then in chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We know something very interesting. He was in the beginning and will be in the end. He was in the beginning. He will be in the end. The last words said by Jesus Christ, you know where they are? Chapter 22, verse 20. And he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. He was there at the end. But he was also at the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And we say God created the heavens and the earth. Who literally created the heavens and the earth? Whose ministry was it? Well, let me just read to you. And if you want to look, Colossians 1 and verse 16 Let's see what Paul says. Who is, verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus Christ was the creator. God the Father, the designer, Jesus Christ, the carpenter, he's the one that spoke the worlds into existence. He is the Alpha and the Omega. You know what this literally does? This literally brings together creation and prophecy. Those two must walk in lockstep. You cannot take one without accepting totally the other. They are like two tracks taking the train into eternity future. Creation and prophecy. Let me illustrate. Go to the book of Jeremiah just for a moment. The book of Jeremiah, I don't know if you've ever studied Jeremiah. Excellent book, 52 chapters. And Jeremiah was selected as the prophet to the nations. Starting in chapter 46 to chapter 51, he mentions every major player in the end times, and he talks about what their destiny is going to be. It's an interesting study. Prior to chapter 46, he's dealing with the Jewish people, and he talks about the judgment that they're going to face. He concludes everything, and in fact, probably 
the stenographer who wrote down what Jeremiah had to say was the one who recorded chapter 52, and it is a record of all the prophecies that Jeremiah gave coming to pass. So it's an interesting book. But let me just trace quickly through Jeremiah just for a second to show you the connection between creation and prophecy, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Look here in verse 5 of, uh, of chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah. Very interesting statement we're going to read here in the context of the day, or I guess it's this week, when there is the commemoration of the Roe versus Wade decision in the United States Supreme Court 30 years ago. Look what he says, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of thy womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now there's the ultimate answer to abortion. All political questions are answered by the Word of God. I don't have to debate. I don't even have to try to be politically correct. All I have to do is be biblically correct. We have a debate going on. When does life begin? Somebody says it begins at birth. Another says it begins at conception. I say those are both wrong. It begins in the mind of God in eternity past. He said, before I created you, before I put you in your mother's womb, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So was abortion a possibility? Jeremiah had been aborted? It's in the face of God. I don't have a... By the way, though, I just chased a rabbit for a moment. What happened? God brought man into existence. He placed Jeremiah in the womb of his mother for his purposes, part of the creative act. And it wasn't an evolutionary process that brought him into existence. I formed him, Psalm 139. I know all of thy members. I know you. Before I formed you, I knew you. You've been listening to the first CD in a five-part audio series on CD entitled Return to Eden. This series will help you to understand why there is a battle for Jerusalem. The prophet Zechariah wrote that in the last days, Jerusalem would become a cup of trembling and a burdensome stone. That's Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This five-hour CD series, Return to Eden, will help you to understand why the focus of the entire world will be on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in the last days. If you're interested in getting your copy of this five-hour audio series on CD, Return to Eden, let me give you the number to call. It's 877-674-3298. Now, that's a toll-free number from all across America. Call our staff. They'll be happy to tell you how you can have your own copy on this five-hour audio series on CD entitled Return to Eden. This is one of the most important studies I've ever done. Once again, that number for you to call, it's a toll-free number. Call and make your order of Return to Eden. It's 877-674-3298. And I want to remind you, Jesus Christ is coming, and it could be today. So let's keep looking up until...